In our studies on the atonement at communion, we have considered many angles. Christ's divinity and humanity. God's attributes on the cross. Active and passive obedience. Redemption, propitiation and Christus victor. But one aspect we have not adequately discussed and studied is the kind of humanity necessary for atonement. And it is this subject I want us to study this morning. It is taught in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It is important here to note the context. Paul is not discussing justification, that was chapter 1 to chapter 5, but he is now discussing discussing sanctification. In chapter 6, grace causes us to be united to Christ in death, burial, and resurrection, and overcome sin, victory. But in chapter 7, Sanctification is a continuous war because of indwelling sin. Paul is so aware of indwelling sin, he says in chapter 7, 24, O wretched man that I am. And then he asks a question, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He has a body, that has sin in it, it is mortal, it's dying, and it is influenced according to the flesh for sin. How can he be holy? How can he overcome sin? Who will deliver him from the body of this death? Then in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So God's going to deliver him from the body of death. How, Paul? Chapter 8, verse 1. Those who are united to Jesus Christ, one, no condemnation, and two, will not walk according to the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you will not live a life of sinfulness, but you'll live a life of godliness by the Spirit. How is this the case, Paul? Verse 2. For, because. The law, that's not speaking of the moral law, but a principle, a power. The principle and power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the principle and power of sin and death. The Holy Spirit has entered the believer, delivered us from the power of sin And now we have spiritual life and will walk in obedience towards God. Why, Paul, do we have the spirit of life? Verse 3, 4, because what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. 
How is Paul delivered from the bondage of death? How is Paul delivered to overcome sin? Because of the kind of flesh that was condemned in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we will look at verse 3 and the subject under three headings. One, the law and flesh. Two, the Son of God and and flesh. Three, condemnation and flesh. So first of all, the law and flesh. Verse 3, for what the law. Now this is a different law from verse 2. This is speaking of the moral law, which we summarize in the Ten Commandments. We know this is speaking of the moral law because of the context. The word law is linked with the word condemnation. That's a judicial word of moral declaration and dealing with sin. In verse 4, the outcome is the righteousness of the law. That's the law which shows us righteousness, morality. So Paul here is speaking of the moral law. He says the moral law could not. Literally, it is no power, no ability. It means powerless, incapable, impotent, impossible. It's the same word used in Mark 10, 27, speaking of how man can enter the kingdom of God by themselves. With men, it is impossible. Same word. Or in Acts 14, 8, there is a man from Lystra who who is crippled, he's disabled, and it says he is incapable, impossible for him to walk. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to atone for sin. So the moral law, it is incapable, powerless, impossible, impotent. Concerning what? Condemning sin in the flesh. The law could not condemn sin in the flesh, but Jesus Christ condemned sin in the flesh. So the moral law is incapable, powerless, impotent, impossible to condemn sin in the flesh. Now what does this word condemn mean? Now the majority, not all, but the majority of expositors look at verse 3 here as justification. And therefore, it's merely pronouncing. Like justification is a declaration, a pronouncement of righteousness and condemnation therefore is a declaration or a pronouncement of sin and guilt. Well, I think that's wrong. 
That's wrong. Condemnation here does not mean merely to pronounce, but to execute the sentence of judgment. It means to destroy, to overthrow, to deliver. Paul is saying the law of God could not destroy sin, could not overthrow sin in our lives, could not deliver sin in our lives. And there are four reasons why condemn means this and does not mean merely to pronounce. First of all, the law can pronounce guilt. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that what what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And in Romans 7, 7, Paul says, I would never have known sin except the law reveal it. So it would make no sense to say the law could not pronounce someone guilty. The law does pronounce people guilty. Second reason, the work of Christ. Christ never came merely to pronounce guilt on sinners. The law could not pronounce guilt, but Christ came to pronounce guilt. That makes no sense whatsoever. Christ came to deliver us from sin. Deal with it, destroy it, release us from it. Thirdly, the context is sanctification, not justification. We've already explained that in the introduction. Romans 1 to 5 is justification. Romans 6 to 8 is sanctification. And look at the language of the context. Verse 7 of chapter 7. Who will deliver me from sin? Romans 8 verse 2. That the spirit of life has come to free us from sin. Verse 4, the outcome is the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us and we walk in holiness. And fourth evidence is the word condemn, yes, sometimes does mean only to pronounce guilt, but not always. In verse 33 to 34 of Romans 8, that's the context It is God that justifies, declares righteous. Who is he that condemns, declares guilty. But here in Romans chapter 8 verse 3, it doesn't mean that. It has the same idea as John chapter 12 verse 31. Now the judgment, the condemnation of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus Christ did not simply pronounce Satan cast out, He actually did it. 2 Peter 2.6 Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. He did not just simply declare them guilty, he destroyed them and overthrew them. And so condemn here does not mean merely to pronounce guilty, but to destroy sin, deliver from sin, to overthrow the power of sin. So why could the moral law not destroy, 
deliver or overcome sin in our lives because it was weak through the flesh. Read that again. Because it was weak through the flesh. The problem was not with the law of God whatsoever. The problem was our flesh, our sinful, fallen, human nature. Why was the law given? The law was given to reveal God's holiness, reveal God's will. And if you break that law, it reveals and declares you're a sinner and you're guilty. But the law cannot transform. It was never given for that purpose. The law cannot regenerate you. The law cannot convert you. The law cannot give you life from the dead. The law cannot justify you nor sanctify you. And because of our flesh so weak and we cannot do these things, the law is impotent to deliver us from sin. Galatians 3.21 If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it can't, Paul says, that's why we need Christ. So the, Paul, the, the law was never given to transform, to convert, to regenerate, to give righteousness, to to sanctify, to justify. The law reveals and declares, but that's it. And we're in sinful human flesh, which means we are weak and without strength and cannot keep the law to deal with sin. Romans 5.12 In Adam we all sinned, and when sin came, death reigned. And this means because of the sinful human flesh, we cannot and will not keep the law. Romans 8 verse 5. They that are after the flesh do the mind of the flesh. Verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. Verse 7. The carnal mind. That's the, same, the word carnal here is the exact same word as flesh. The fleshly mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, no ability. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is the state of all mankind. He that sins is a slave of sin, John 8.34. You cannot be saved or delivered from your sin by the law. You cannot be converted, regenerated, justified, or sanctified by the law. The law is impotent, incapable, powerless to deliver you from sin because of your sinful, fallen, weak flesh. Is there anyone here trying to please God by the law? Is anyone here trying to make God pleased and acceptable by your law keeping? Is anyone trying to gain righteousness by the law? 
Paul condemns you, God condemns you. The law can only show you your guilt. It is a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. But you cannot be saved by the law. How then can we be saved? Salvation is of the Lord. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. To use the language of Mark chapter 10, 27 again, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. God is the source, agent, and end of salvation. Salvation is to the glory of God alone, because God alone saves sinners. And note briefly two aspects of God's salvation. One, it's a Trinitarian salvation. The three persons of the Trinity are indivisible in this passage. The Father sends the Son. The Son is sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. And in verse 2, it is the Holy Spirit from Jesus Christ within God's people giving the life of Christ. Let us always be truly Trinitarian. Christ alone does not save. The Trinitarian God in Jesus Christ saves. In the language of one of the ancient creeds, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Make sure you're not worshipping Jesus only, but you're worshipping Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Secondly, why did God the Father send God the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh? It doesn't say here, does it? But we all know the answer, love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. 1 John 4, it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son. Thomas Watson, Christ's taking flesh was a plot of free grace and a design of pure love. God himself, though almighty, was overcome with love. Christ incarnate is nothing but love covered with the flesh. You, in your weakness and in your sinful nature, cannot be saved. God in his love sends his Son. But Paul's emphasis here is not merely that Christ was a true human, but what kind of humanity. Look at the language here. The likeness of sinful flesh. If you know Paul, you know he doesn't use that language. You know he just wants to emphasize the humanity of Christ. He'll just use the word flesh. He wants the church to know he's a human 1 Timothy 3.16, God manifested in the flesh, true humanity. But he doesn't want the Romans, and he doesn't want us to know merely 
that Christ came in true humanity, he wants us to know the kind of humanity. Does it matter? Is it even relevant? Have you ever asked that? What kind of humanity did Christ come in? Likeness means something similar, but not the same. The appearance of something. Sinful flesh is clearly flesh that is full of sin. And has all the effects of sin within body and soul. Flesh in the Bible does not mean body, it means humanity, body and soul. Look what Paul does not say here. He doesn't say God sent his son in the likeness of flesh. That would mean he did not come in a humanity, but he looked like a man, but he really wasn't a man. A phantom. 1 John 4 is clear. Anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is antichrist. And anyone who has the Holy Spirit confesses Jesus came in the flesh. Look what Paul also does not say. He does not say God sent his son in sinful flesh. That means Jesus' humanity would be a fallen humanity, a a sin humanity. And the Bible is clear. Hebrews 7, he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sin. But he is specifically the likeness, the appearance of sinful flesh. Now, because of the complexity here, I want to ask three questions. One, what does this mean? Two, how did Christ assume this flesh? And three, why does it matter? So first of all, what does this mean? So listen carefully. This is what the likeness of sinful flesh means. Christ's human nature was a true nature of body and soul without sin but possessing the same natural and sinless infirmities of man since the fall of Adam for the purpose of suffering and bearing the punishment for sin. That's what it means. Christ's humanity was not the humanity of Adam, or should I say the nature, the nature of Adam before the fall. That would mean Christ did not have the infirmities of nature post-fall. He did not have the nature of Adam before the fall. It also means that Jesus Christ does not have the humanity of heaven, what we call the glorified body. That would mean he would be incapable of weakness or suffering. In the words of Thomas Manton, he came in the form of a servant 
not in the form of a glorified saint. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, He is made like unto us in all points. He is tempted like us in all points, yet without sin. So his nature is the nature of man post-fall, pre-heaven, but completely and utterly without the sin. This means Christ had the natural and sinless infirmities of man. Christ's nature had the appearance of sinful flesh, not the sinful flesh itself. And he was able to grow and develop. He was able to experience physical weakness and tiredness and hunger and thirst. He was able to experience sadness, sorrow and grief. He was able to experience fear. He was able to suffer in body and soul. He had a mortal body. A. Hodge. Christ had a nature like our sinful nature, but not itself sinful. Christ took our physically dilapidated nature subject to the infirmities which sin had brought into it. And the purpose, of course, is the ability to bear the punishment for sin on our behalf. But here a question is often brought up. Was Christ able to be sick or to catch diseases? And the Orthodox Church history all say with one voice, no. I have never read a single author who said Christ was able to be sick or diseased. Patristics, medieval, reformers, Puritans, 19th century, every one orthodox has said no. Now why? First of all, Christ took on only the necessary infirmities. In order to receive the punishment for sin, he did not take on every infirmity. For example, lust. Lust is an infirmity of the natural man. Christ was unable to lust. So he didn't take it all. Secondly, Christ took upon himself sinless infirmities. The appearance of sinful flesh. Sickness and disease is due to sin in the body. The genetics of man pre-fall and post-fall are distinct in their relation to sickness and diseases. And because we have sin bodies, the body of death, mortal bodies, because of sin, we can have sickness and disease. Third reason 
Christ came to heal us and bear our sicknesses and diseases. He could not have sickness and disease and then heal us. Matthew 8, 17, quote in Isaiah 53, 4. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. If he was sick, he couldn't bear our sicknesses. If he was diseased, he couldn't bear our diseases. Just like 1 Peter 2, 24. If Christ had sin, then he would not be able to bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Fourth reason, Christ is the Lamb of God without spot and blemish. In Hebrews 9.14, he offered himself unto God without spot nor blemish. And therefore Jesus Christ was not able to be sick nor diseased or he would need an atonement for sin himself. But he had a true humanity And the kind of humanity is not pre-fall, is not glorified, but our humanity in the appearance of sinful nature with the necessary, natural, sinless infirmities for the punishment of sin. How did he assume this nature? For this we must come to the incarnation. Luke chapter 1 verse 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. First of all, this was a virgin birth. A virgin birth. Christ has no earthly father. He has no earthly seed as the progenitor in the womb of Virgin Mary. This means that Adam's guilt could not be imputed to Mary. This is why the historicity of Adam and the literal history of Genesis 1-3 to is necessary for the gospel. You deny it, you deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you deny the necessity of the virgin birth. Secondly, conceived of the Holy Ghost. Not begotten of the Holy Ghost. Conceived. The Spirit of God did not use his substance to produce the seed in its place. But with the power of the highest, it's a miracle, it's omnipotent, supernatural, miraculous power, there was no father, there was no seed. And miraculously, Framed, created, and formed the human nature. Francis Turretin, the Italian Protestant. The Spirit acts here not materially, but only efficiently, by power, not seed, by might, not intercourse, so that he was conceived from the power of the Spirit, not from the substance of the Spirit nor by generation, but by blessing and consecration. So, the Spirit did not beget Christ's either divinity or humanity. Christ, according to his divine person, is eternally begotten of the Father, 
but his humanity is begotten by none. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. The substance of Christ's human nature is not heavenly. It's not from the Logos. It's from Mary's own human nature. It says in Luke one thirty-five that born of thee, born from thee. Or later in the chapter, it speaks about how the child Jesus is the fruit of the womb. Or Galatians 4.4, 4, God sent the Son made of the woman. This is important. Because heretics in various guises have said Christ's humanity was not Mary's humanity, but a ex nihilo, created out of nothing humanity, and that is wrong. Christ's humanity was not created ex nihilo, out of nothing, but created out of the substance of Mary. Which means Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God and the Son of Mary. Mary's genetic hereditary was passed on from her to him. The features. Mary's chromosomes were passed on to Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit miraculously creating the Y chromosome. The antibodies of a mother passed on to the child, the exact same between Mary and Jesus in the womb. If you did a DNA test with Jesus of Nazareth, you would see the genetic link to Mary, to David, to Abraham, to Adam. Jesus was not some blonde air, blue-eyed, white guy like the Roman Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses. Whatever the, uh, the color of the skin in the first century, he had to from his mother, Mary. But wasn't Mary's flesh sinful? Yes, it was. But it says in Luke one thirty-five that the Holy Spirit overshadows her and holy thing. The Holy Spirit sanctified the substance of Mary, completely removing any trace of sin whatsoever so that Christ's humanity is sinless and the Spirit furnishes with grace and gifts. And everything we've described here is not chronological, but instantaneous. Why does this matter? For our salvation. What's the problem? Romans 8.3 Our flesh is the problem. And if someone comes in another flesh, we cannot be saved. Hebrews 2.14 As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same 
all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren so that he can be a faithful high priest. John of Damascus. The whole Christ assumed the whole me so that he might grant salvation to the whole me for what is not assumed is incurable. So if Christ is a heavenly nature or a pre-fall nature, or a glorified nature, we're not saved. And God's justice is not vindicated. The object of God's condemnation is wrath, is our sinful nature. And for the substitute, there must be someone likewise. Not with the sin, because then they would need a saviour themselves, but sinless in the same human nature. This means Christ is not your redeemer, he's your kinsman redeemer. This is why he can sympathise with you. He knows what it's like to have a weak, infirm human nature. And therefore all the struggles and battles and sufferings that come with such a weak human nature, he can sympathize with you. And this is for his glory as well. You take away this, you say God became man, but not not too low. A superman, a powerful man, but not true man. But God is so glorious. He came as close to sin as possible without actually ever being sin in that sense. Christ's nature is so close to sinful nature, but it's never ever sinful nature. That's the depths of the humiliation of the holy God for you, brother and sister. But now thirdly, condemned, or condemnation in the flesh. He came for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The problem, our flesh cannot keep the law. We cannot be delivered from sin because of sinful flesh. Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh will be condemned in that very weak flesh. Experiencing a life and God the Father judging and punishing sin in his likeness of sinful flesh. And throughout all his life he experienced God's curse. You remember the curse of the fall in Genesis 3? Work was once without sin and it was wonderful and glorious but now because of the fall work is still God glorifying but is hard and difficult. Thorns and thistles arise. What was Jesus Christ's occupation? Mark 6.3 Is that not the carpenter? And he was not in a powerful human nature but a weak human nature of all the infirmities. Have you ever done physical work? You get tired, don't you? 
very tired. At the end of the day, after a hard day's work, you just want to get home and you're, you're tired. And you need drink and you need food to regain that strength. So did Christ. Or maybe you're working, right? And you're working with wood and a saw and you cut yourself and bleed. Christ too. Christ too. A true human nature in the likeness of sinful flesh. And do you not struggle with temptation because of the infirmities of your flesh? Christ too. In Matthew chapter 4, Christ has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think his body said, easy peasy, no problem? It was a true human nature in the likeness of sinful flesh. His body was craving food. And then Satan comes in with a temptation and he uses food against the infirmity of Christ's flesh to sin. But because he is the sinless Christ, he overcame the temptation even in infirm, weak flesh. And then on the cross, how was he crucified? 2 Corinthians 13, 4. He was crucified in weakness. He was crucified in weakness. Jesus Christ's divine person is obviously in the whole Bible. And God's condemnation of wrath is often with the image of fire. Jesus Christ pre-incarnate was in the burning bush. And his person was not consumed because the divine nature is incapable of suffering. In Daniel, the three are going to be burned alive in the furnace of fire. The pre-incarnate Son of God came and they were not consumed. He gave their ability, the power not to be consumed because his nature cannot be consumed. But on earth... Christ was in not a human nature that was incapable, but the human nature that was very capable of suffering. And in his finitude and in his weakness and in his firmities, he bore God's wrath for our sins. Isaiah 33 asks the question, Who among us shall dwell in the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? None of us are able. Nahum 1.6 Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. No human nature can. Psalm 86, speaking of God's wrath, says it's like wax in the fire. Christ's human nature in and of itself, is incapable of bearing the wrath of God. It would be obliterated. His soul is finite. His body is finite. And the physical and soul sufferings of Christ. Why do you think he was afraid in the garden? Why was he troubled? Why was he exceeding sorrowful? Why did he sweat as it were great blood? Why? Because he had the likeness of sinful flesh. And the only reason he was able to survive 
was because his person is divine and man. And his divine nature upheld him so that he was not obliterated into a thousand pieces. But did not help the human nature to have any comfort. Did not help the human nature to have any less pain. Simply gave him the ability to live in order that the infinite wrath of God against sin would be condemned in the finite humanity of the Son of God. That's what Christ did for you. Not Superman, not demagog, in your very human nature. And see the effects of this condemnation. He condemns sin. Sin is destroyed in its guilt and power. And we in Christ are delivered from sin. Jesus Christ did not die for us merely for justification, but also for sanctification. Praise be to God. All who believe in Jesus Christ, the condemnation of guilt was condemned in him. So if any man be in Christ Jesus... All your sins are fully and completely, utterly and forever forgiven because you're justified once and for all. He's cast all your sins in the depths of the sea. He's washed them away and will remember them no more. But he also died for your sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are being sanctified. Because the power and guilt of sin was destroyed on the cross as God the Father condemned that in his likeness of sinful flesh. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit to apply himself to you. Verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death reigned in you in the natural man. But then the Spirit has come from Christ and given you life. Christian, you're not dead. You're living. You once were dead, but now you're alive. You once were unable, now you're able. Once you were not willing, now you're willing. You hate sin and you love holiness. You hate rebellion and you love God and you love the Father and you love the Son and you love the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in you to live a life for God. Verse 4. So that the purpose for the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That law can only tell you what is righteousness. It can only tell you what is pleasing in God's sight. And when you have Christ condemning sin in the flesh and giving you the spirit of life, now you will love the law with your heart. 
Not for justification, for sanctification. And you will now see the law lived out in your life. Love God and love neighbour. You love God and you trust in him alone. You love God and you respect and honour his name. You don't take it in vain. You, you love God, you worship him as he commands, as not as man pleases. You love God, therefore you keep the Sabbath. You love neighbour, so you honour your parents and superiors. You love your neighbour, and so there's protection of life, and there's contentment and not covetousness, and there's protections of people's names and reputations rather than murder. You, you hate hating other people, you, you hate mocking other people, and you love them, so on and so forth. And that's because Christ... Sin was condemned in his likeness of sinful flesh. And you have a body. You have a human nature. And though you are regenerated, that's why Paul's struggling in Romans 7, though you are regenerated, you still have that indwelling sin, those weaknesses and infirmities, but do not fear because you have the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit sanctified the substance of Mary in her womb, as the Holy Spirit led, guided, graced and gifted the infirm human nature of Jesus Christ, he has given to you in your infirm, weak nature and your sin, sinful nature. And the Spirit of God will overcome, sanctify, mortify, vivify, until you're glorified. And as Christ rose from the dead, he no longer had the body, the nature, and the likeness of sinful flesh. It was now glorified. Incapable of suffering. Incapable of dying. And your body, your human nature, will be made likewise. Philippians 3. And you will live forever in the same human nature of the glorified Christ forever. This is what God has done for you. Out of grace, mercy and love. And it was accomplished not merely because Christ had a true humanity, but the kind of humanity. And sin now is condemned. Let us pray.